Before we get into today's episode, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know by now, we're here to tell you that hockey has returned to ESPN. The NHL season has started back up, and that means you can stream your team's games on ESPN+. Plus, From the Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning to the brand new Seattle Kraken. Subscribe to ESPN Plus so you don't miss a goal. Also, get the inside scoop on the biggest NBA news and hear from the stars on and off the court on the Woj Pod. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. In the Crease is presented by ADT. Brilliantly safe. ESPN NHL podcast with Linda Cohn and Emily Kaplan. Hey, glad you're there, everyone. This is In the Crease. I'm Linda Cohn. She is Emily Kaplan. Uh, Today, uh, a big Monday as we are talking to you on this day. Uh, Emily and I talking for the first time on this Monday since hearing the entire press conference by NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, and of course, Bill Bailey, his right-hand man was there as well, addressing the media. First and foremost, uh, thank God that Gary Bettman addressed the media. Uh, But then it's so interesting, after Emily, uh, the whole, he spent 54 minutes, I think, with media members via Zoom. Um, There are some in social media, and and I tend to agree that at, at the beginning of the press conference, Gary Bettman was saying all the right things, thinking about Kyle Beach first and foremost, of course. And then the media went at it and they did a great job. Uh, there were a few things there that were very eye-opening and, and disappointing. And then you gotta wonder, was Gary Bettman better off not holding this press conference because of the reaction? Uh, whether it's not giving Rick Westhead the opportunity and it sure looked that way, until his colleagues came to his rescue and said, hey, can we let Rick Westhead in here for a question? Emily, I'm gonna start start there with you because it was Rick Westhead that had the amazing and exclusive interview with Kyle Beach. And he's been at this at the beginning with what's going on with the Blackhawks, the NHL and Kyle Beach, the sexual assault victim. Yeah, no, and I think that was, you know, the biggest thing that you noticed on that call was the lack of Rick Westhead um, early on. And he was on the call and waiting to ask a question. And I just thought it wasn't a great look at the NHL um, to seem like they were hiding from him. The one journalist who's been tougher on the league than anybody, not just with this story, but really over the last decade or so. Um, You know, the thing with Gary Bettman, and I really feel like this is commentary on the league as a whole, sometimes that I struggle with is they're so reactionary and they almost get defensive where they try to cover up them and say, we're doing the right things. We only handle what we can handle. We only found out about this now. We're acting now. Rather than saying, hold up, this is a huge event that happened and a huge failure by many different processes that we have. How can we look at how we failed? How can we make it better? Not just now, but for the future. And I feel like that's where they missed the step because it didn't really feel like they wanted to get at the heart of the issue. In fact, Gary Bettman was contradicting himself a lot on this call. I mean, yes. you know, they talked, yeah. they sent a memo last week to teams and said, Hey, if anything happens in your organization of this nature, you got to report it immediately to the NHL. Then Gary Bettman saying, well, we're going to actually have somebody that we're going to bring in an outside firm to figure out if we have the best practices. Great. 
But then they start talking about Kevin Shevel day off and basically absolving him of all play uh, of all. Oh, my gosh. And so the biggest issue there. Yeah, uh, that was the biggest issue for me that right. this guy still has a job. Well, right. And I think it's issue because the NHL is saying we want to create practices where everyone is safe to report because it's important for anybody to report. Well, then how are you absolving one person who didn't do that? And that one person is Kevin Dayoff, currently the Winnipeg Jets general manager, who was an assistant general manager in that meeting in May when all this was going down. I think Gary Bettman and, and kudos to the media who asked the question and kept bringing up Kevin Day off and his situation to Gary Bettman. And listen, there's a lot of good about Gary Bettman, but this is the issue. This is the problem I had with the commissioner. This really made him look bad. This was a bad decision. Why is it just him that has to decide that Kevin Day off deserves to have his job still as Winnipeg GM? Because this is this is the structure that Gary Bettman created. Why is it just him? Why are there other people involved? Because this, this is, is so this... obviously, I, I just want to finish one point. Yeah, yeah. This is so obvious. I don't want to hear how, oh, he was only told certain things. Oh, he didn't have all the details. He wasn't allowed to get all the details or or it wasn't his position to know the details if this was, you know, consensual or not at the time, because at that time of the meeting and, we, you know, he did not know all of this situation. He's an assistant GM. When was the last time an assistant GM? wasn't in on things that had to do with coaches, players, et cetera. One more quick thing. If you're in that meeting room and you're Kevin Shevel day off and you and Gary Batman kept referring to, well, he just assumed he believed he was led to believe his superiors were handling this situation regarding Brad Aldrich. Then you see Brad Aldrich celebrating with a Stanley cup, having his day with a Stanley cup. And you're, aren't you, if you're a human being and you're Kevin Sheveldale saying, wait a minute, huh, let me ask a question. I thought my bosses were handling this. Why is this guy allowed to parade around with a Stanley Cup and have his day? I mean, you've got to ask questions. So that was part of, to your point, Emily, the hypocrisy in some of the information that Gary Bettman was throwing out there today, because it didn't ring true when he spoke about Kevin Sheveldale. And I just want to give a quick refresher for anyone who's listening to this conversation sure. and might be a little lost. The quick story here is that Kyle Beach was a player with the Blackhawks that was called up in the 2010 playoffs. He was sexually assaulted by the video coach, Brad Aldridge. He reported it to a superior, Paul Vincent, who reported it up the food chain. There was a meeting between the senior leaders that included Kevin Sheveldayoff because the Blackhawks considered him to be a senior leader. And ultimately, this group decided not to do anything until after the Stanley Cup. We don't hear about the story because it gets covered up. It is put away. Brad Aldridge is left to resign without getting any investigation. He goes on three years later, sexually assaults a 16-year-old in Michigan as a convicted sex offender. And again, the NHL does nothing because it's all covered up until 2021 in May when Kyle Beach files a lawsuit, then as John Doe. And that's how it all comes to light. Now, I think there's still some people asking questions of how did the NHL league office not know until this lawsuit was filed? I think there's a lot of skeptics there. Gary Bettman and Bill Daly were pretty adamant. This is the first time it uh, rose to our attention was when the lawsuit was filed. Um, but there's a lot of other questions that are being asked right now, specifically by players um, who are wondering, how could Kyle Beach fall through the cracks like this? Because again, this was a player who was a first round pick viewed as this top 
power forward at a time when that was really in vogue. He had a bright future, had just finished a season in junior hockey where he scored 52 goals in 68 games, only played a handful of games in the AHL and was already called up to the Blackhawks. You could see what trajectory he was going on, trajectory. And then it all derails and he never plays in the NHL and is playing in Europe. And so as we record this on Monday, the NHLPA executive board has a call at 4 p.m. with Don Fair, their executive director. And I've been talking to players ahead of this call and they've got questions for him because technically Kyle Beach wasn't a member of the NHLPA. He wasn't a due paying member at the time. He was a black ace, but he was on an NHL roster and this happened with an NHL coach. And how can you let something like this fall through the cracks? And some of the questions these players have asked me that they want to know on this call is if the NHLPA knew about this for nine years and did nothing to investigate or help Kyle and deal with this trauma, they stopped talking to him after the second call. How? How was he left on an island? And I, I get the sense that this call is going to be pretty contentious with Don Fear. And there's a lot of people wondering whether the executive director of the NHLPA, again, Don Fear, is fit to survive this or is fit for this role. Absolutely. And he's, he's got to go. Uh, and I'm not going to be shocked if he resigns. Uh, he's got to go. Uh, you know, it, it's under his watch. And what, it, well, Emily, the NHLPA, what are they, what's their main focus is to protect players. I don't care if, he, like you pointed out, he was still on an NHL roster was Kyle Beach. Okay. He was drafted in the in NHL draft. He should have been protected, looked out for. That's the job of the NHLPA. They failed at that job. And the point you made earlier about Brad Aldridge, that he left the Blackhawks to then sexually abuse and assault a young Michigan boy, 16 years old. Okay. When Gary Bettman was asked about that today in the press conference, and he, he basically, he, look it up. It's all there. He said, well, you know, we're dealing with NHL issues right now. And I still am going to need more information before uh, we decide that we can help him out that uh, victim in Michigan with, uh, with counseling and help and all of that. That was bad. That was a bad response by the commissioner. I was really disappointed with that response. I'll tell you what that was. That was a lawyer responding because the NHL doesn't want to admit on public record that they have any connection with Brad Aldrich sexually abusing that 16 year old boy, plain and simple. That's what it is. And at this point, I, I understand the legal ramifications, but there's also sometimes when you just do the right thing and say the right thing, because it's the right thing to do. And the fact that the NHL is again in defensive mode um, and is in legal mode shows that they're not really grasping the bigger picture here. And I do wonder how much change can actually be affected. Yeah. And he spoke about bringing in, uh, you know, a professional outside, firm. outside yep. professionals to see if what they put in and implemented their infrastructure that Bill Daly spoke about today regarding uh, the last few years, how things are better and all this. Another shocker to me, Emily, and then we'll get into some teams who are looking at and all this, but this is to me bigger than it's sports. the biggest it's the biggest story in the NHL. It's, bigger. it's, it's, it's a new story and it's a yes. new story, you know. Um, is the fact the Bill Peters thing that disappeared until, you know, it was news to me that the, you know, if the question was asked and I want to credit the person that did, I can't remember who asked, maybe, you know, Emily, but asked about what's going on with the Bill Peters investigation from two years ago. And, and so Gary Bettman and Bill Daly were quick to say, oh, that investigation is over. That is complete. Oh, really? And I mean, we've been in touch with Akeem Alou and his representatives. Then what does Akeem Alou's representative tweet out 10 minutes after the call? 
we have not been in touch. This is a blatant lie. News to me. News to me is what the rep pointed out. So that's not going away either. And this is not, this is, that's the thing. As we look ahead, not only the NHL has to do better and, you know, okay, we'll take Gary Bettman and Bill Daly at their word that they're on that path to do the right thing. So this will never happen again. Okay. Um, but the fact that I'm not done with what went on here for Kyle Beach and I'm not done with what went on with Bill Peters. I think there are more uh, legs to this, more storylines that will come out and they need to. And I was just very proud of um, our fellow media members who really brought their A game today uh, to help get to the bottom of it and uncover uh, more ineptitude. Uh, because I think this isn't going away as much as the NHL wants it to go away by just finding those Blackhawks $2 million and say, oh no, Kevin Shevel day off. He had nothing to do with this. Again, another, I mean, the first misstep I felt that Gary Bettman made in that press conference was when someone pointed out point blank, well, you find the Arizona Coyotes for doing this of, yep. um, you know, violating draft code and you file, uh, you find the New Jersey Devils this for violating the CBA and signing the Ilya Kovalchuk contract. And yet the fine for the Blackhawks in mishandling sexual abuse allegations, which quite frankly are far worse in the human damage and harm that they caused. And Gary Bettman just kind of blindly defends it and says, well, the facts and circumstances were different. And it's like, okay, well then if you're really sorry for Kyle Beach and you really do have empathy for him and the trauma that he's been through and the fact that he was so isolated and had to self-medicate through all of this and it cost him his entire career, maybe don't flippantly dismiss it just like that, that it's different facts and circumstances. And Shevel Dayoff has to do what Quenville did and resign. I mean, to me, the optics, obviously awful. And the fact that it just looks to me like all he cared about while he was the, with the Blackhawks, I don't care if he was there just nine months. All he cared about at that time was his career and not making waves by not questioning anything, by not speaking up, by not noticing that Brett Aldrich had his day with the Stanley Cup. Oh, wait a minute. I thought my bosses were supposed to take care of this. Why didn't I ask a question? Why didn't I follow up? Oh, I don't know. Maybe you care about your career, just like you care about holding on to your job with the Winnipeg Jets. Do the right thing, Kevin Shovel Day off. Just resign. And the other issue, Joel Quenville, okay? Listen, I will say this and what Gary Bettman, I did like his response to this. There were a couple of reporters who were like, why did you allow Joel Quenville to be behind the bench for the Florida Panthers the same day as the Kyle Beach interview? Okay, that all happened so fast. I, can, I could see that falling through the cracks. I don't have as big an issue of him being behind the bench for Florida uh, that very same day, a few hours later. Um, those things happen. Uh, you know, that was, that, there was more here than that, whether Quenville is going to be behind the bench. Thank goodness he resigned. He did the right thing there. Uh, but I noticed there was a big deal. Of, well, why was he behind the bench? You know, I ha so I have a comment on that. I mean, there was some bigger fish to fry. Here. Yeah. So here's my thoughts on that. One, I think yeah. he's behind the bench because it was a legal issue. And first, he's employed by the Florida Panthers. Let's remember that it was up to the right. Florida Panthers whether he was not. The NHL, though, without having any of these policies, could say, "Hey, we're pulling him out as before we have this conversation to find the information." 
I don't like the fact that Gary Bettman says, well, he was behind the bench for 800 games between the time yeah, that, that this happened. Was... So what's the difference? Okay. I'll tell you what the difference is. We didn't have this report then this investigative right. report. That's the big yeah. difference. Yeah. And, th- and that's exactly what you were saying about getting on the defensive that mm-hmm. the commissioner does. Uh, that was a perfect example of that. And that was that lawyer speak coming through as well. Correct. Where it's just, that's, if I have a problem with Gary, that's what happens. He just turns back into the lawyer and he gets on the defensive. And I know the NHL is his baby and he's protective of it and more protective the way he guides it and handles every issue. But boy, there are some very glaring issues right now within this great league that we love and this great game that we love more. And so our passion is because we want the right things to be done moving forward. And I have to have the faith now, right, Emily? We have to have the faith that this is what we like to call a huge wake-up call, but there are still unanswered questions. I'm just, there's still more there with the Bill Peters thing too. Yeah, I just wanna make one more point about Sheffield Dayoff and Quenville before we move on. It really feels like Gary Bettman did his crime and punishment based off of who cooperated in that report. I thought it was really, really clear when Gary Bettman said, you know, everyone else forgot that Kevin Shevel Dayoff was in that meeting. The only person who reported Kevin Shevel Dayoff was in that meeting was Shevel Dayoff himself. And I felt like they were kind of giving him credit um, yes. for being honest. And I, I do respect that at the same time. I do wonder if, you know, Quenville or others were punished for just having a bit of a murkier memory or Quenville for being quite adamant over the summer that he was never aware of the allegations. And then it obviously being proven to be false when that report came out. And when it came to Quenville, look, he walked into that meeting in NHL offices and the league will tell you otherwise, the Panthers will tell you otherwise, but his fate was sealed. There was going to be some punishment for him because frankly, optically, he cannot be behind a bench this year. And um, the league... from what I've gathered in my reporting, pretty much pressured the Panthers and Quenville saying, this is what's going to happen. You're going to resign. Um, that's the easiest course of action. I do believe that if that didn't happen, if Quenville um, did not resign, there would have been some sort of suspension or punishment levied, but that's the route it went. I'm told that Quenville has a clear conscience about this. He um, feels like he did the right thing at the time and he felt like his bosses were going to handle it. That obviously Again, didn't happen. Again, another passing the book situation. Yep. And well, he's, that's why he's off the bench now. All right. Yeah. So as you said so eloquently, we have to hope that the right thing is done here. We have to have some level of faith because we do love this sport and we don't want to see people suffer in the sport. Um, but it's a challenging time. And these are challenging topics that we're covering. But the truth is there's also hockey going on and guys are playing and there's some great games. There's some great storylines and We're here to talk about that, too. And I guess the easiest place to start would be the Florida Panthers, who were undefeated at the time that Quenville was taken off their team. Linda, what do you think of the Florida Panthers? And I'm curious what you think about Andrew Brunette as the guy who might potentially lead them this whole season, because it sounds like they haven't done as much due diligence on who would replace Joe Quenville. Maybe it's just cheaper for them to have an interim for the entire season. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, everybody cares about costs, especially coming back for a long season, back to normal after COVID and after all money lost. Yes. But this is about keeping the structure. That's what Andrew Burnett brings. First of all, you and your age, I don't have to tell you, Emily, when you're an assistant coach, you have such a bond with those players. You're mm-hmm. that go between when you're the assistant coach, you, you have the ear to the room. You, you have the conversations with the captain. 
You know what players are thinking. They feel comfortable going to you. That's what Andrew Burnett already has in place. Plus he has, of course, the hockey experience, cup winner, blah, 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 all of that. I think it's very smart for the Florida Panthers to keep that infrastructure, keep the system of Joel Quenville. That is what Andrew Burnett knows. This guy has never been a head coach on any level. Okay. The Florida Panthers already have a great relationship with their assistant coach in Burnett. This is the way to go. I don't care if the Panthers were an awful team. I don't care if they're as great as they are and they are a Stanley Cup contender. I know they have to make the playoffs first. I know, I mean, win a playoff series first, but the situation is this. I think it's a smart move. Please keep Andrew Burnett for the entire season for Florida. I heard all the rumors with our colleague, John Tortorella. He had mentioned, uh, I think to Arda or Cal during an intermission on um, Friday uh, during our ESPN plus game. Babs, that, Babs, Babs knows what he said. Yeah. She's trying to chime in. So everybody was quick to say, oh, our colleague, John Tortorella, he would be great for this Florida Panthers job. Right. But on Friday night during our ESPN plus broadcast, uh, Torts told Arda or Cal during one of the intermissions that he hasn't even been, got a call from the Panthers. You know how Torts is. Arda or Cal is like, uh, are you interested in this job? Uh, oh, no. He said, did you get a call from the Panthers? No, I, no. I think he just said, no, not, no, I did not get a call from the Panthers. Torch just said, no. You know, like <laughs> that was really the end of it. Uh, so anyway. No, a needless information from that guy. <laughs> no, doesn't waste minutes, seconds of our lives listening to him say just flowery comments that you'll never get that from Torch. Uh, so uh, that's the situation with the Panthers. They're going to be fine. Uh, and so they'll win the division like I predicted. I believe you predicted it anyway. And they will win their first playoff series. That is so far away from now. But keep Brunette in there behind the bench. Players trust him. You don't need a big shakeup right now. That is going to send this team, this group, this roster into, you know, turmoil they do not need. Uh, can we talk about the Carolina Hurricanes, please? I wanted to talk about them because I just have to say they are the best team in the NHL point blank. I can say that with confidence. Well, they are undefeated. They are undefeated. So I'm going on a limb here. I know you are, (laughs) but I am just so happy for Freddie Anderson because I got to know him a little bit over the summer. He was at Austin Matthews house when I spent two days there and just, I had some really nice conversations with him, mainly when Austin was napping. Uh, Freddie and I sat outside and had some nice chats. Um, And I get the sense that it was really hard for him last year. And this weekend, Linda, I watched the all or nothing series on the Toronto Maple Leafs. I finally caught up on it. And the way Freddie was portrayed in it, it was hard because he was going through injuries. It almost felt, you know, reading between the lines, watching that series that Sheldon key for the management, you know, wasn't really on board with a treatment plan. Maybe they thought Freddie should have been playing through some more. Like that's kind of the vibes I was picking up all the while. Jack Campbell, this just totally lovable character is rising up and everyone's going against him. And you were like, Freddie was doomed there. Like there was no shot for him after last season. And so to see him get a new opportunity, I know that playing outside of the media spotlight was pretty important for him. And he's definitely getting that in Carolina. The kid has nine goals allowed in seven games, a nine fifty six save percentage. He looks unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, Keep in mind, listen, I love Freddie. I've talked about him. I thought he was worked too hard in Toronto. And, you know, and since Toronto doesn't have a back line and, you know, pairs of defense like the Carolina Hurricanes do, that becomes tiring. I know he has the bulk of the chores so far with the Hurricanes starting almost every game. 
but it's like a refresher course. It's like, you know, oh, okay, I can live with 24 shots a game as opposed to 44, you know, and that's the difference in Carolina. I mean, Emily, me or you could step in and goal and, you know, maybe, maybe. Okay, maybe you I, could step in and goal. I don't even know how to get into butterfly position. Yes, I don't think you could. I could. And somehow these hurricanes, I'd be the David Ayers replica. They would find a way to win and outscore the opposition. I like that for you. And that's the thank you. And that's the thing. Like they're getting scoring. Remember there was a time just a couple of years ago that Carolina was rather methodical and boring and didn't really mm-hmm. create a lot of offense. But now Svechnikov and Aho, obviously those are just two of the guys. Those are the guys we think of first. But they're all coming into their own. Is this going away? No. Are they going to be there in the end? Yes. Are they probably going to make a Stanley Cup final? Probably. Uh, it, it's only them again, cliche, they can only beat themselves or an injury can only beat them. That's the situation there to me. You're right. Um, right now, if they're not the best team in the NHL, then it, you know, then it's the Panthers, but the Panthers again, have been lost, uh, once already uh, a couple of things I want to throw at you, which I find interesting and more fascinating to me, not the teams that we expect to do well. I'm talking about the teams that are still hanging around like the Buffalo Sabres that collapse hasn't hit yet. Like the Detroit Red Wings, uh, viral downward has not hit yet. That is just so refreshing. Even like the Anaheim Ducks, who, oh, by the way, I'll be between the benches this Tuesday. That is tomorrow night as we speak for our exclusive ESPN Plus game. Leah Hextall, Kevin Weeks in the booth. Ducks are playing the Devils at the Pond at the Honda Center. Even they are finding ways to win. Uh, it, and, and they're more watchable. Like a lot of these teams that were not a appointment viewing per se, or maybe they're not appointment viewing, but if you turn them on, you're like, oh, all right, I'll check them out. They're not like they were. And that's Ducks, Ducks, Detroit, and of course, Sabres, just to name three teams that I'm so impressed with early on where I I see growth, I see changes, and I see um, development of these younger players. Well, the one thing I'd say on the Sabres, and I'm not sure if I mentioned on this podcast, but before we had the Canucks Kraken game, you know, we get to speak with both coaches and Travis Green with the Canucks. They had just gone off playing the Sabres. And he's like, I'm telling you guys, that team is fast. <laughs> like you hear things about that team, but when I play them, they're fast. And, you know, that's what they need right now. They need that youth. They need that speed. They need young players to build around because Let's face it, Jack Eichel's not going to be on that roster. Um, oh, I don't even want to talk about it. We're not going to even go there right now because it's so in flux. I don't want to talk about it. Although, of course, you know, the latest, the latest, um, you know, type of thing, the latest uh, rumor is either Vegas or Calgary. Oh, and speaking of great teams, Calgary, Calgary? Flames, Road Warriors. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I really didn't have a lot of faith in this team going into the year. They were all the talk about, let's trade Johnny Gaudreau. Let's read Johnny Gaudreau has showed up in a big way. Yeah. I mean, oh, I love Johnny hockey, by the but way. But then you got like Mangiapane coming through. I mean, all these guys are like, what? And then, of course, the guy behind the bench, Daryl Sutter. You can never underestimate the power of a Daryl Sutter. So that's another surprise team. I don't want to look past Calgary Flames. I believe they're for real. Uh, so that is interesting. But back to Buffalo. It's Coach Granado, man. It's he had Don Granado controlling what's in between the ears with these Sabers. He's given them confidence. He's like a, you know, an older brother, an uncle of dad. Who's like, you know, guys, you're in the NHL now. There's a reason why you're in the NHL. You could do this. You could stop the puck. You can put the puck in the net. You could show off your speed. You can show off your skating ability. You can show off your hands. And I just think he has just generated confidence and not afraid to lose type of feel. You know. It's kind of like mm-hmm. a lot of teams go through, right? It's like, oh, God, I, I, oh, my God, you know, play, in any sport, just doing what 
they do because they're afraid to lose as opposed to let's go out and win this because we can win this. Yeah. Okay. Um, game of the the other team I just wanted to talk. Yeah. I'm going to talk about game of the week. The other team I just want to talk about briefly because earlier in the year, I said, I'm having a hard time getting excited about the St. Louis blues. I'm kind of getting excited about the St. Louis <laughs> Blues, Linda. Do you know why? It's because it's not just the veterans. We talked about Tarasenko really showing up in a big way. David Perron, maybe the most underrated, consistent scorer in this league. He just always seems to get it done. But they've got a young guy sprinkled on every single line. And that's something that is a transition in happening, right? Like this was an old team that's transitioning to get younger. Guys like Jordan Cairo are stepping up and like, I don't know. I, I like them. They're in first place in the central division. Obviously the Colorado Avalanche are going to catch up because that's what they'll do. But I believe in the blues well, right we keep now. Saying that We're waiting. I hope so. I mean, I'd like to see it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? All right. I'll tell you my game of the week. It's before your game. So you can make it a double header. Okay. You can watch Linda on the ducks and devils game, but beforehand, the Golden Knights and Maple Leafs is one of those spicy games that I just love because I was on the bench in between the benches for the Golden Knights versus Avs. And I got to tell you, they are the mouthiest team in the league. They love to yap, just yap, yap, yap the entire game. Um, and they're going through some injury troubles right now. It sounds like William Carlson is joining that list of their great forwards um, who are sidelined, but they've got these young guys stepping up. And I think this game against the Maple Leafs, who didn't quite get the start that they wanted, but might be turning a corner. Um, I think this is a really pivotal game for both of these teams early in the season. Uh, by the way, uh, we found out today, uh, William Carlson, though, is out six weeks, broken foot. Uh, that's another blow to the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, some Vegas Golden Knight fans, Emily, are telling me it's the, it's the curse of Flurry. It has come back, like with all the injuries, the stone, the patcheretti. Why do they always have something? It's the Vegas flu, the curse of yeah. Flurry. Maybe it's but just I mean, what's hockey. what's going on? Know. I mean, those are their big-time dudes, you know? So, uh you know, so no matter what happens to the Vegas Golden Knights this year, Pete DeBoer has a pass because all his superstar scorers are getting hurt for an extended amount of time. Uh, I'll be biased. My game of the week is the one I'm doing tomorrow, this Tuesday. Uh, Devils are in town to take on Ryan Getzloff, the all-time leading scorer for the Anaheim Ducks. Congrats to Getze, one of the greatest humble captains we've had in the NHL for quite some time. Uh, great stuff. But why this is my game of the week? Because these are the two, two of the youngest squads, two of the youngest squads in the NHL. Um, mm. And I think um, one's number three and one's number six. I think the Ducks are the sixth youngest the, or the Devils are the third youngest. Either one, they're young. Let me repeat, they're young. Um, and I'm looking forward to talking to Dougie Hamilton. That's my appointment viewing. I hope I'm looking to get him one-on-one. Just want to talk to him after the morning skate. This guy, I'm so impressed with going to new team, new plays. All he does is play 5 million minutes a game. All he does is contribute with the offense. I know he gets paid a lot of money to do both those things, but sometimes I don't have to tell you uh, that doesn't happen when you play a player to score and put in a lot of time and minutes and help create plays and opportunities. Dougie Hamilton's doing all that. And a big issue there, and I'm going to talk to our PK Subban as well, because PK looks so happy. And why is he happy? because all the pressure is not on him anymore. It is mm. a shared pressure. And it looks like this team is having fun and kudos to Lindy Ruff. I mean, some people would think I had doubts for him being a head coach anymore, but um, so far so good. And they're doing this without Jack Hughes, who's out another five weeks with uh, shoulder issues. So uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing um, these two teams go at it, the youth going at it. 
uh, on Tuesday night on ESPN Plus. I'll be between the benches. That's going to be a fun game. I love Ty Smith. That's my guy in the Devils that I really love watching. I feel like that's their, they're going to have Dougie Hamilton as kind of the face of the blue line the next two to three years. And then after that, I think that Ty Smith just takes over. That's my prediction. And you know, yeah, no, that's a good call. And Dawson Mercer, the 20 year old rookie. Uh, that mm. line has been the most impressive line all season long, especially lately. Uh, so that now I want to try to talk to Dawson and how he's adjusting. Cause that's the other thing. And I, I, I just you know, want to throw it out there because Emily, I don't know how you feel. And that's why I'm asking you, but I just feel, you know, the league, whether it's because of money, whether it's because the GMs want instant success so they can keep their jobs, they're bringing up these young players so early. They're bringing them up so early and not all of these young players are ready. They're not, yeah. they're not all ready to be brought up. And we're seeing that a lot. I mean, we're seeing, we've seen that in, in recent years. I bring up Cole Caulfield, who for many reasons, uh, especially uh, not producing on the ice, he has been sent down to the AHL. Um, in bring and well, of course, Montreal's and I think that's just a find your confidence thing. Like you were on a struggling team, you're struggling, go play in the minors, score a couple goals, come up here with a better headset. Head, oh, well, get up here with a better mindset. Yeah, I guess every situation, every team is different. But I heard Mark Messier, our amazing colleague, talk about this on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. He was asked about it and he was very passionate about it. He believed teams were bringing up these young players way too soon because they asked him mm. about how, you know, how he was able to become this leader and, you know, this great captain. And he said, he goes, you have to remember, I didn't become a captain until I was in the league, nine, 10, 11 years, hmm. which is a truly amazing point, how we put the C on the sweaters of guys that just, you know, finished junior hockey or, you know, whatever, thinking, oh, he's our best player. So let's make him the captain. And he's 21, by the way, you know, crazy stuff so you know you know it's wild it boggles my mind that Gabe Landeskog Connor McDavid both of those guys were captains when they were teenagers sure. and I get it they're the best players on the team they're the face of the franchise going forward but that's a lot to put on a young player just as he's trying to get his feet wet and get acclimated to the NHL yeah not everybody is Connor McDavid or even Gabriel Landeskog no. so I just think GM so should have a little bit more patience stop thinking about yourselves uh and that'll be the day but think about these young players and as they break into the National Hockey League. So let us all be surprised if the team that we love and they, you know, pick a guy first round and he doesn't bloom instantly. Okay. Just take a beat, take a pause and realize there could be other things going on. What is the rush? Yeah. Or there's a guy like Cole Sillinger who looks awesome now and he might hit a rut and he might hit a rookie wall and that's going to be okay. It doesn't mean that he's going to be a bust later in his career. So just a caution of Blue Jackets fans. Right. Who are five and three. Who are five and three and Patrick Line has got his groove back. You love to see it. Yep. Um, Linda's a bit of a quieter week for me. I hope I'll be on the point on Thursday. I've got around the horn on Friday and it's going to be Emily Kaplan showing up for around the horn, not mayor of Easttown. Don't you know? Yes. I didn't even bring up Halloween. You know what? I should have started with Halloween, but we had to talk about serious stuff. I saw your pick on uh, in video on Instagram. Well done. Uh, we are two lovers of that amazing show. Please. I hope Kate Winslet comes back and makes another season. But you you sounded a lot like her. You know, I had a lot of practice by going to Pennsylvania State University. And there's a lot of kids there that sound just like that. So had a few friends of the Delco accent. I was able to call um, for some references like 
For example, the chicken and rice at Wawa. That sounds disgusting, yes. but uh, apparently it's a thing. Yeah. My son went to Slippery Rock University, so I'm well aware of uh, that part of Pennsylvania. Uh, also, though, if oh, you yeah. wanted a true imitation of Mayor uh, from Easttown, you had to have a, like a bottled beer in your hand at all times. Linda had four bottles in front of me. <laughs> There was two empties in the A block. And then when we got to the B block, I placed two more there. Like I was drinking throughout the show. I just wanted to make sure. And cheese whiz. I poured cheese whiz all over my hand for the name of good TV. That is so on point. It was some serious character. On point. Well done. One more thing. And I talked about this when I was on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio today. I was like, answer me this, people. Why for hockey players who you, well, let's face it, don't have a lot of free time. They really don't. Right? Do they love Halloween so much? <laughs> Why? Not only do they love and embrace Halloween, Emily, but their costumes are mint. They're amazing. So they're elaborate. organic. They're creative. Am I crediting their significant other? Why is it? Solve this mystery to me. I'm so impressed year after year. It's honestly, I think someone needs to do a deep dive into this. Like, where did it start? When did it start? I think it's just the time of year one month in the season, everyone's looking for like a good party to have. Um, and then, you know, there was one year, one team just one up to each other and then everyone wanted to copy because we know Linda, it's a copycat league. It is. Yeah. I think you're right about it's a special time. I think they embrace this more than Christmas. And I think they oh, get, yeah. they're, they're inner theatrical and uh, theater and acting and everything that they don't see themselves as having a personality can come out with this holiday. Plus, I bet you uh, the team helps them out with probably some professional makeup artists and uh, wardrobe oh, designers. I, I don't know. I think they're getting this on their own. You do? Okay. Yeah. Well, then again, then I'm back to my original point. I am very impressed. Hockey players never have any time. They only have time to eat, snap, and play hockey. Yet their hockey, their Halloween costumes are just awesome. 